I believe that God has a word for each one of us this morning. Are you excited to hear from Him? Yes. You excited to be with Him? Yes. Good. You excited to be with each other? Yes. Good. Good. I'm glad for that. So um, I don't know if any of you have ever experienced amnesia. Um, I don't think that I have, although some people have accused me of selective amnesia. In fact, there's an ongoing um, uh, prayer in our home uh, that both my wife and I pray. We ask the Lord to give us a machine that allows us to record everything so that we can rewind it and find out who is right. I think it's called Alexa right now. I think she's recording everything. It's funny, I'll have a conversation with Lori about something, and all of a sudden, you know, my feed just is full of those kind of things. But anyways, maybe we prayed for something we didn't want. But I don't know if anyone in here has experienced amnesia, but we've all seen it on television, and amnesia does not work like in TV. People don't get amnesia and just all of a sudden forget their identity, right? I don't know who I am. Oh, let's figure it out. It's a big mystery, and we have an hour-long television program or something that tries to figure it out. But the way amnesia works usually is either you have amnesia that causes you to forget memories, it's a memory issue, or it causes you to not be able to have new memories. Like you can't retain new information. Now I'm not an expert in this, I just read the Google. And what I, what I know about amnesia is this, that it's usually caused by some type of trauma, either an ongoing trauma of some type of uh, substance abuse, or some type of... Uh, trauma to a part of our head, like we get smacked upside the head. Sometimes it's psychological in nature and we use it as a, our bodies or our our minds use it as a um, coping mechanism so something that's painful or traumatic that we went through doesn't come up. And I'm not trying to preach this message to trigger anybody, but I want to say this, spirit or physical amnesia usually causes us not to lose our identity but to lose our memory. But I believe there's something spiritual about that experience of amnesia. There's something called spiritual amnesia. And it's not something that's unique to our generation. It can be caused by trauma, where we go through something spiritually and we forget who God is, and we forget what God has done for us, and we forget who we are in Christ. But spiritual amnesia also works kind of in the long term, where we get lulled into just forgetting who God is, based on experiences that we're going through, based on, on, on the regular life that just kind of takes over, that we spend all kinds of time investing in, we find ourselves forgetting two of the most powerful things that God has given us. That's an understanding of who he is and who we are. This morning I want to talk about spiritual amnesia because the truth is this, we, our, our nation and the world is going through unprecedented times. Whether you believe that it's virus-related or man-made or a combination of both, here's what I am saying. The, the world is going through unprecedented times spiritually. The enemy is raging, and we are experiencing it. But here's the thing. It's not that new. What we're experiencing right now in our nation has been experienced, and in our lives and in the world, has been experienced throughout time by almost every culture. Because this is a constant battle for identity. The enemy is always interested in us not knowing who we are. God is always interested in us knowing who we are and knowing who he is. And there's a, there's a battle happening, and it's not so much a battle between the enemy and the Lord, because there is really no comparison. It's not like 
the devil wakes up and puts on his gloves and is like, hey, let's go, Jesus. Come on, I'm going to take you on. He knows that he's already defeated. He can't touch the Lord. But he comes after the Lord's creation, which is us. He comes after the people of God and the people who were created in God's image who don't know him yet. And he tries to get us to forget who we are and to forget who he is. And in that battle, he often succeeds. And it sounds like a lot of what we're experiencing right now. Let me read you something from 2 Timothy describing the conditions in the world that were in the first century. Here's what Paul the Apostle writes to Timothy, a leader. He says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Now, understand this. We believe that we're living in the last days. Paul and Timothy believe they were living in the last days. And it's just illustrating simply that this has been going on for a long time. For people will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They'll consider nothing sacred. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They'll slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. They'll betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act, listen to this, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. This is an absolute description of the way people behave when they forget who God is and who they are. In fact, it's very easy for people to even be looking religious, to be identified with God and even to identify themselves with Christ and to actually walk in such a way that they've forgotten their identity, they forgot what God has called them to. In fact, a little bit later in that same chapter, in that same book, Paul, writing to Timothy, says, listen, what happens is people like this, they start to weave their way into the church and they deceive. And he said, but he said women, and he was criticizing women who had too much time on their hands. Any women in here got too much time on their hands? All right, then you're all safe. I'm not talking to you, neither was, was Paul. Basically, and here's, here's where we all stand. We all have too much time on our hands. Most of us would be embarrassed if we pulled out our phones and showed the rest of the room how much screen time our phone recorded in the last week. We have too much time on our hands. And what Paul says is, listen, when that happens, people give themselves over to all kinds of weird doctrines and they get swayed by the world around them. And Paul says to Timothy, listen, it's so important for you to understand and know this is what we are fighting against because our identity gets ripped away. In fact, it's almost like magic because Paul mentions a few uh, verses later. He says it's literally like the example of when Jonas and Jambres oppose Moses. These are not names that you read in the Bible about Moses, but there are other books that talk about and, and legends and lore about the, these two men being magicians who opposed Moses when Moses was looking to free the people of Israel. In other words, Moses went before Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. What was that? It was a declaration of allowing them or getting them back to the place where they knew their God and they knew their identity. Let my people go. They're my people. They belong to me. You need to let them go so they can live in the purposes that I created them for. 
And in that place, there was a spiritual contention between the, the, the voice of God, the declaration of God, the identity of God, bringing his people out of slavery and into their identity, and the declaration of sorcerers saying, no, we're going to keep you in this place. And so the legend is that these two men were the ones who came, they were, were, were magicians, they were sorcerers, they were wise men, and they came in, and they tried to demonstrate the same miracles that Moses demonstrated. When Moses threw his staff down and it turned into a serpent, they did the same thing. That's where we get these names. But what Paul, what Paul is saying to Timothy is, listen, it's not just a natural fight. It's not just you have some people that are misbehaving themselves. He's saying this is an ancient problem of identity that wars against the soul of every person every human being and so paul says to timothy a little bit later in verse uh 10 of chapter 3 he says but you timothy certainly know what i teach and how i live and what my purpose in life is you know my faith my patience my love and my endurance paul is in imploring Timothy, remember what I taught you about who I am. Remember what I taught you about the way that I live. Remember what I taught you about the purpose that I have in my life. Don't forget it. You certainly know what it is. But how many of you know if Paul is writing it to Timothy, it's because he needed a reminder. And if Paul, the apostle, is writing to Timothy, who represents his apostolic authority in that area, in that city as a sent one, how much more do we, the people of God, need a reminder of who God has made us to be? Of what our purpose in life is? Because it's a battle for our identity. We're fighting for our identity, and it's a constant battle. But if we forget who we are, then we're sunk. And I'm not talking about like, I'm a powerful woman, or I'm a man, let me tell you who I am. I'm talking about who God says we are. Because the truth is this, if you come into this place this morning, you are in a battle for your identity. If you're watching online, you're in a battle for your identity. Every human being who is alive right now is in a battle for their identity. And the enemy doesn't come to us and say, I'm going to challenge your identity in Christ. He comes to us and says, I want you to find your identity in something else. I want you to be distracted. I want you to be in fear. I want you to be in love. I want you to be uh, uh, passionate about something that isn't who God has created you to be. That's where the battle lies. And so he's here, the Lord is here this morning. Holy Spirit is here this morning. Jesus is interceding on our behalf to contend for your identity and mine in Christ. Because the, the enemy doesn't care where you find your identity. He doesn't care if you find it in being a Democrat or a Republican. As long as he has your identity there instead of in Christ, he wins. He doesn't care where we find our identity. If we find our identity in being a husband primarily over being a lover of Jesus, then we, we've missed it. If we find our identity in being a good mother over being the one that God has called us to be in the earth, not that we ought not to be a good mother, not that we ought to not be a husband, but we must find our primary identity in who Christ has called us to be. Otherwise, it is easy for us to forget who we are and who he's made us to be. 
And it's a battle that we're in on every day. The battle is on. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 3 through 5 says this. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. What does that mean? There is a lot of reason and there's a lot of argument in what the enemy wants us to believe. It will sound plausible. Lots of people will agree with us. There are philosophies that you can give your life to that will seem like they're worthwhile because lots of people are along with you. But we have been called to fight with what? With God's mighty weapons. And as we do that, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. And we capture the rebellious thoughts and teach them to be obedient to Christ. Today we're going to start a series called Mighty. And the thesis or the theme of this series is going to be this. That God has given mighty weapons to his mighty people to see mighty kingdom advancement. Again, there's nothing new to the times that we are living in, but I also believe that there is something unique to the time that we're living in. This is an unusual time of realignment and repentance and revival. This is an unusual time. God is always in the business of repentance. God is always in the business of realigning our hearts. He's always in the business of bringing revival to us. But I sense there is a unique grace right now for God's people to encounter him in a way that redefines who we are and changes the way that we live the rest of our lives. That there's, there, there's literally, in, in this battle between the enemy and God's people, there, there, there's a fresh force pushing the kingdom forward like never before. There's a fresh grace. It's almost like the Spirit of God has gone ahead and taken ground and saying, come with me into this place so I can lead you into your purpose. It's not like there's really something new to do. The kingdom mandate has always been and is still upon us. But it's a rediscovery of what that mandate is and a re-engagement of God's people in living out that mandate. And the mandate is this, it's to make disciples. And I'm not talking about having good small groups or a better small group or more small groups. That is an important aspect of making disciples. But what God is identifying and leading us into and giving a kingdom mandate for right now in this time is that our hearts would be more aligned with him, that we would be disciples. Not just followers, not just hangers-on, not people that are here for the word and maybe a little bit of food and some good fellowship with other people, but we are here for the kingdom purpose that God has called us to, anointed us to, empowered us to, and that is to make disciples. We advance the kingdom of God by advancing it in human hearts, starting with our own and then those around us. And when we know who he is, and when we know who we are, then we know that we can walk in that purpose and God advances his kingdom in us. The battle gets won when we, when we are doing what God has called us to do. 
forcefully advancing the kingdom of God in our own hearts and in the hearts of those around us. And so we're going to talk about this through this series called Mighty. Because it starts with us. God is after our engagement, but he's so much more after our hearts. Listen, this isn't a message to get you geared up to do more in church. This is a message for our hearts to be captured by the Lord. Because most of us don't see ourselves as mighty. When we read that scripture, we use God's mighty weapons. We go, I don't even know what they are. Or I've tried them before and they don't seem very mighty to me. Or have you seen where I'm at right now? It doesn't look like I have access to any mighty weapons. God is saying he is realigning us to see what's really in our hands. Just like God said to Moses, what's in your hand? Moses says, just a staff. And God said, no, I want to show you how mighty my weapons are for the battle that you're about to fight. I want to do this by looking at the book of Judges this morning. I want to start the series with this. If you go with me to to Judges chapter 6, the book of Judges is a record of what we just read about in Timothy. It's a record of people forgetting who they are, forgetting who God is, and suffering the consequences and the cycle of what that looks like. In other words, God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. He brought them through the desert. He caused them to occupy and inhabit a land that he had set aside for them. And he warned them. He said, listen, when you get here, don't forget who I am. Don't forget what I've done. Don't forget what what I have given you and your purpose in being in this land as representatives of me. But Israel constantly forgot. They got oppressed. They got sucked in. they, They got enamored with the culture around them and they didn't see themselves as mighty because they had turned from God and they were constantly being invaded by enemies I want to read to you chapter starting in chapter 6 we're just going to read some scripture we're going to talk about what God has to say to us this morning Judges 6 1 the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years And the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in mountains and caves and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. And they left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, the goats, the cattle, the donkeys... These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts, and they arrived on droves of camels too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. And so Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites, and then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. They forgot who God was, and because they forgot who God was, they, were, they did not have their identity lived out. God had placed them in that land to demonstrate what it looked like for God to be good to a people, for a people to walk with God and to walk in his ways. And what was stolen from them? Literally their inheritance. Have you ever heard the the saying that when you sell your hay, you sell your land? Farmers say that. Whatever grows out of your land is, is supposed to be 
be able to be put back into la- that land. But when you take your hay and you sell it to somebody else, you're, you're taking away the livelihood of that land. You're, you're giving it away to someone else to raise cattle or someone else to use for seed or something else like that. In Israel, it was the same way. The Israelites, their land and the produce of that land was God's blessing upon them and their identity lived out. God said, you're going to a land flowing with milk and honey that has been designated for you. But when they forgot who they were they, or who God was, they also forgot who they were. They were not able to live in that legacy. And they were so not living in it that it wasn't just like they were in the land like, oh, this is really bad. They found themselves strongholds in caves. They were hiding from their identity lived out. Because it felt safer to go into those places than it did to say, no, this is who God has called us to be. Let's worship the Lord and watch how God defends us. And so we read here in verse 7, when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of slavery. I rescued you from the Egyptians and all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I'm the Lord your God. You must not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. They for, he, the prophet comes. They're crying out to the Lord. God, what should we do? The prophet comes and says, you forgot who God was. God says, you forgot me and you forgot who you were. You forgot that I saved you from slavery. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Oprah. Or Ophrah. Thank God it's not Oprah. Anyways. <laughs> Which belonged to Joash, the clan of Abiezer. And Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. So not only do we have this picture of everybody doing this, we have this micro picture of Gideon hiding in a wine press, using a wine press for what it's not intended to be used for. He's threshing his grain so that he's hidden from the enemy. He's, that's not living out your destiny. It's eking out a living in a pit. And in many ways, the people of God, we have found ourselves eking out a living in a pit because we've forgotten who God is. And because we forgot who he is, we forget who we are. And we don't live with the boldness of the calling that God has. So for an agrarian people, the boldness of the calling would have been taking their animals wherever, threshing the grain out on on the places where the wind blew so that the, the threshing was actually getting somewhere where you would beat the grain and the chaff would blow away. Rather than going in a pit and trying to figure it out how to hide from somebody else. It is time for the people of God to come out of our pits, to come out of our caves, to step back into the worship of God and our identity to see the kingdom of God advance in our lives. And you might say, okay, the picture is really bad. The prophetic word was, you've messed it up. That's an easy prophetic word, by the way. Right? It's easy for a pastor to stand up and say, y'all are sinners. Repent. Because we know that's what we struggle with. It's easy for somebody to say, there's sin in the camp. Because there's always sin in the camp, right? Or to a prophet to say, gloom and doom. Because it's gloomy and it's doomy. But I want you to notice, I want you to notice a prophetic word that comes to, to Gideon. Gideon is hiding. Gideon is not fulfilling his destiny. And the prophetic word is this. 
Then the angel of the Lord says this. He appeared to Gideon and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Other versions say, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The word here, mighty, is this. It's, it's gibor. And some of you have noticed guys wearing shirts. Uh, Art has one on this morning. That's literally taken from this scripture. It says, Gibor Chayil, mighty man of valor, mighty warrior, mighty hero. We're going to look at that word throughout this series. What does it mean to be mighty, to be full of power and vigor and strength? And it can apply to all different kinds of things, militarily and and, and of character and of wealth. God has literally said, God comes to Gideon and says, you are mighty. And Gideon goes, what? Me? Why? Because Gideon had forgotten his identity. How do I know he forgot his identity? Look at the next verse. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? We have forgotten that God is with us. The circumstances that Gideon is experiencing causes him to forget who God is. And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. We are not his. We don't have his blessing. We don't even know who we are. And the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Gideon had spiritual amnesia just like the rest of the people. Gideon had spiritual amnesia just like we do. We don't know who our God is. We forget. And we forget who we are. What he's done for us. He, for, he forgot who God was. Listen, here's the problem. He knew God because he had known what God had done, right? He said, where, where is this God that our ancestors keep talking about? There was evidence for his existence. There was an argument that could be made that God was real and that he actually did stuff in human history. But it wasn't a reality for Gideon. He had forgot who God was. The truth is this, he had probably heard the word of the prophet. Right, The prophet comes to the people of God and says, you forgot who God was, and so I've turned you over. Gideon's like, yeah, no kidding. So it wasn't like there wasn't, there, I mean, he's repeating what God has said. So he's heard the word of the Lord, but in that, even in hearing that word of the Lord, he has forgotten who he is. What does that mean? You and I can sit in, in the place where we are hearing God's voice on a regular basis and still forget who we are. It doesn't become actionable for us. It's something that's out there. It's something that's in our minds. It's something that maybe it's for somebody else, but it doesn't actually apply to our hearts because, God, you don't know the circumstance I'm under. Well, we never say that to him. Pastor, you don't know. And God is saying, you cannot forget me. The Lord is with you. The prophetic word to Gideon is the Lord is with you. Literally, in this word, the Lord is with him. A little bit later, you'll see that that Gideon sets up an altar of worship. You don't do that in the scripture unless God appeared to you. Many scholars believe that this was an appearance of Jesus Christ before he came in the flesh. 
This was God appearing to Gideon, saying, I want to talk to you about who, who you are. Literally, the Lord is there saying, he's saying, I'm with you, the Lord is with you. He's not only with him in, in, in presence right there, he's with him in the word. The declaration, like, we get to live out of the word of God. When we forget who he is, we need to go to his word to remind ourselves this is who God is. Everything that's recorded in his word about what he's done in the past is something that he wants to do right now in his people. The words that the Lord declares don't fall flat. The power that God has given to his people to, to, to live out and, and, and execute the mission of God is not for a couple centuries ago. Or the last revival, or, or in, the, in the times of Christ only. He's saying, listen, my, his word carries prophetic utterance that is alive for us today. The Lord is not just somewhere. He wasn't just somewhere. He didn't just do something for us. The Lord is currently with us. That's what his word says. And he's also not just with us in presence and not just with us in his word. He's with us in the execution of what he's called us to do. He is going with us. He's advancing with us. He is faithful to perform his word. We can trust him to do this. Gideon forgot who the Lord was, but he also forgot who he was. Our physical reality can often make us spiritually dull. Our physical reality is so, when it's not lined up with the word of God, is supposed to remind us that something's wrong. When we say, where is this God that our ancestors talk about, we should be saying, God, do it again. It's not like God has left his people. It's not like God is done with his mission in the earth. There's not an issue with God. He has not forgotten who he is. He has not lost power. He's not off mission He's not like some other God that's off going to the bathroom. No, literally, that's, or on vacation. That's what a lot of people believed. Some of us act like God has gone off on vacation. And God's saying, it's time for my people to remember. To remember, based on, like if your circumstances stink right now, great. Seriously, great. So let that, let that annoyance, let that suffering, let that brokenness drive you to the place where you say, God, I need you now. Not where is the God of my ancestors, I'm going to go hide in a pit and wait till he shows up, but continually seek after him. Because if we seek after him, he will be found, he says. Tells us that something is wrong. So the angel of the Lord calls him a mighty warrior. And what does... Gideon say, he says, he forgets who he is. He says, my clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. So he's saying, listen, out of all these tribes that have lived in the land, like, we're the, we're the, we're the least, we're the smallest, we're the weakest. There is nothing mighty about us. And he's saying, in fact, not only that, but I'm, I'm, like, I'm in a pit. Like, I'm the weakest among my tribe. The problem with that is Gideon had forgotten who God had said he was. There are two times in scripture where the patriarchs prophesy over the tribe that Gideon is from, the tribe of Manasseh. It's one of the two sons of Joseph. In other words, 
there's Ephraim and Manasseh. They're two tribes. They're the sons of Joseph. The sons of uh, Isaac were the ones who constituted the 12 tribes. But the, half tri- or the tribes of Joseph became the tribe of Manasseh and the tribe of Ephraim. And Gideon was of the tribe of Manasseh. I want you to hear what the word of the Lord says about his tribe. What was the prophetic utterance? What was the purpose with which God said? So we're going to read the the last words of two people. We're going to read read the last words of Jacob, and we're going to read the last words of Moses. This this is Jacob saying, God has given us a promise. We're, We're going to get to that land eventually, and here's what God is going to do through you, my sons. He brings Joseph's sons together, and he says this. He says, Joseph, this is Genesis chapter 49, Uh, if you're taking notes. Joseph is the foal of a wild donkey. The foal of a wild donkey at spring. One of the wild donkeys on the ridge. Three times you're a wild donkey. Can I tell you what I wanted to title this message when I preached it for for the men? Do you guys remember what I want? Actually, it wasn't what I wanted to title. It was what I wanted to put on the shirts for that retreat. I wanted to have a donkey kicking on a shirt, and I wanted to say, Wild ass sons. I'm just, I'm just telling you what, what scripture says. Like think, think, about, think about a donkey that's just kicking, doing whatever it's want. Whatever it wants. Jacob is blessing. At the very end of his life, he gathers all his sons together. And this is the specific blessing. Not only, not only, he blessed everybody, but this is the very specific blessing. It wasn't just like an old man saying, hey, I lived a good life. Uh, you're, you're kind of a wild dude. He's saying, no, this is what your prophetic destiny is. When you get to the land, when you live out your calling, you're going to be a bunch of wild ass sons. He says this, archers attacked him savagely. They shot at him and harassed him. But, his bow remained taut, and his arms were strengthened. It doesn't say that when the Midianites come, you're going to be attacked and you're all going to shrink back. He says you're going to stand strong. By the hands of the mighty, one of Jacob. This is not the same word mighty, it's avir, which is unique to God. But he's saying the mighty one of Jacob is going to be your strength. By the shepherd, the rock of Israel, may the God of your father help you and may the Almighty bless you. So instead of finding his place in a rock, in a pit, he should find his place on the rock. And so should we. May the Almighty bless you and the blessings of heaven above and the blessings of the watery depths below and the blessings of the breast and the womb. May the fatherly blessings on you surpass the blessings of my ancestor, reaching to the height of the eternal hills. May these blessings rest on the head of Joseph, who is a prince among his brothers. Look, do you hear the prophetic destiny that he's speaking over Gideon's people and Gideon? And then Moses gathers all the tribes as he's about to die, and he blesses the people. Moses said this about the tribes of Joseph. May their land be blessed by the Lord with the precious gift of dew from the heavens and water from beneath the earth, with the rich fruit that grows in the sun and the rich harvest produced each month, and with the finest crops of the ancient mountains and the abundance from the everlasting hills, with the best gifts of the earth and its bounty and the favor of the one who appeared in the burning bush. Don't forget who you are and whose you are. May these blessings rest on Joseph's head, crowning the brow of the prince among his brothers. Joseph has the majesty of a young bull. He has the horns of a wild ox. 
He will gore distant nations even to the ends of the earth. This is my blessing for the multitudes of Ephraim and the thousands of Manasseh. These are very unique and special blessings. This is literally what the Lord said. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The, the tribe of Manasseh was supposed to push everybody else out. They were supposed to be so mighty and so strong that everybody else had to yield before them, not, being yield, not have to yield to the masses that come against them. They were supposed to enjoy their identity. The crops were supposed to just be so abundant that the favor of God was evident upon all of them. Don't forget who you are and whose you are. And this is such a powerful blessing that literally the Jews still bless their children every Sabbath day with this blessing. Every Sabbath. Still, for thousands and thousands of years, the same blessing is given to the children. Here's what it says. In Genesis chapter 48, verse 20, this is the blessing that Jewish people pronounce over their children every Sabbath. So Jacob blessed the boys that day with this blessing. The people of Israel will use your names when they give a blessing. They will say, may God make you as prosperous as Ephraim and Manasseh. In this way, Jacob put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Listen, it's a prophetic utterance of the purpose of God that Gideon had forgotten. But see, you and I have a prophetic purpose as well. And if we don't forget who he is, and we don't forget who we are, we will walk in that prophetic purpose. You can read it all over the New Testament, but I have one scripture I want to read about it. 1 Peter 2, 9-13. through But you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people. Now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage against your very soul. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they'll give honor to God who judges the world. He says, the Lord is with you. Therefore, what does he say? Go in the strength that you have. It is time for the people of God to rediscover who our dad is in his power, in his authority, in his majesty, to bring to bear his word upon our circumstance. To stop letting every other thing capture our attention and worship him alone. He is purifying his church right now because he wants to fill his church with his power to see his kingdom come like it's never come before. But we've got to see him for who he is. We cannot forget. The second thing is we have to not forget who we are. Listen, each one of you is a mighty warrior. Your prophetic destiny is as a people, as a possession of God. And he's not called you to go in my strength or the strength that you think others have. He's called you to go literally right now with the strength that he's given you now. It's not like, oh, I need to spend some more time seeing who he is and seeing who I I, I am. Just stop and say, God, you are who you say you are. 
God, I'm your child, your son, your daughter. I'm full of the Holy Spirit and full of power. I've been given a call and a mission, and with every call and mission comes the power of God to see that mission advance. So let your kingdom come in my life and in the life of others around me. Let your kingdom be advanced powerfully. It was good when we talked about God. There's, I just want to stay here for a second. There's a disconnect. We're all, yes, God, you're powerful. Yes, you're mighty. Listen, we have got to transition from God, you are powerful and mighty, and hold that and not let go of it, but we've got to understand that because he's with us, we are mighty too. That's where the disconnect is happening. And we've got to make that connection again so that we can live as he's called us to live. Otherwise, we're going to walk around like a mopey bunch of people watching the world happen around us and hiding our faith and the purposes of God in us. So let me ask you this. What's, what's your pit today? What, what, it really doesn't matter what the enemy has done. For, just close your eyes for a minute. It doesn't matter what the enemy has done to you. It doesn't matter how much he's raged around you. It doesn't matter how much he's stolen from your family, from your business, from whatever. It doesn't matter what's happening in the world right now. It doesn't even really matter where you find yourself today. Don't say, well, pastor, I'm in a pit, so I'm just like Gideon. It doesn't matter if you're in a pit. It doesn't matter if you're hiding in a cave. It doesn't matter really if you have gone after other gods, because today, this moment, is the time that God has brought us together to hear his word about who he is and who we are, and to say yes to it. Not to try to figure it all out, There's time for that. You can read the rest of Judges in the story of Gideon to figure out how to do that. But what it is is, God, I will hear you for who you say I am right now, and I will respond right now. I will take action based on who you are and what you've told me right now without figuring out I'm ready to go. Today is your go. Where is God calling you to get in the game? Where is your place of battle? Where has your identity been stolen? If you're willing to do something about it, I just want to encourage you right now as we close our service to stand. If you're watching us online, if you're able to, I encourage you right now as a physical response to the word of the Lord, to remember who he is and who you are, would you stand? Some of you stood because, I'm just going to go there, you stood because other people were standing. You should probably sit back down and stand up more forcefully if you really mean it. I'm just, I'm not telling you to embarrass yourself, I'm just saying, listen, it's time for the people of God to rise up with, with with a righteous no more. And that can be scary, that can be intimidating, that could be something like, I don't know. Listen, God is saying today, he is here, and he's with us, and we're mighty to do what he's called us to do in him. You belong to the Lord. And you, are, you have been given everything you need to accomplish his purpose in your life, to see his kingdom advance. God, we stand before you, ready for your word to be lived out. We stand before you saying yes to your word, to who you are and who we are.
We receive that designation as mighty men and women of valor. Mighty men and women who are heroes. Mighty men and women of character and a purpose. Mighty men and women of your agenda. Lord, let your kingdom come like never before as we remember who you are and remember that we belong to you. In Jesus' name. They are. Although that's not particularly how amnesia works. I'm not a medical expert, but I know how to use Google. And uh, according to Google, or according to the results that you find there, uh, amnesia usually is just a problem with memory. And so there's kind of two ways that amnesia works. You can, you can have your memories that you, like your long-term memory, things that you grew up remembering, not having access to them. And depending on what type of amnesia and what, what the cause of it was and all that kind of stuff, sometimes you'll gain that back and sometimes they're just gone forever. Like they're still there, but you don't have access to them. And then the other type of amnesia is the amnesia that doesn't allow you to form memories now. And so they even, they even talk about like childhood amnesia. Most people don't have memories from before they could talk. And the reason why is most of our memories are related to some type of language. Like whatever connects in our brain to language working connects <clears throat> excuse me uh, whatever <laughs> whatever we connect our, whatever connects language also helps us connect with memory and so amnesia sometimes works where we can't make memories now and m- the way amnesia works is not that you lose identity you just lose memory and <clears throat> that's caused by a bunch of different things it can be caused by long-term substance abuse. It can be caused by a, a blow to your head. It can be caused sometimes, not literally physiologically, but psychologically, uh, the way our brains work, and I'm not trying to trigger anybody, but when we have gone through trauma, oftentimes to spare us from the, the hurt of that trauma, the feels of that trauma, we forget what that trauma was like. And so I want to talk about amnesia, not physical amnesia, not actual amnesia, because the actual amnesia doesn't have as much to do with identity, but I want to talk about spiritual amnesia. Because I believe that we can forget things about who God is and who we are. And the truth is this, the spiritual amnesia that we experience has more to do not with our memories, but with our identity. It's more like the movies, where we actually forget who we are. We forget who God has made us to be. And this is such an important thing for our times because we are living in times where many of us, especially believers, forget who God is. And more importantly, for our lives, for what that means for us, we forget who we are. Because we're going to see from Scripture, it's actually possible to remember what God has done and actually have it not affect us, not affect our lives today. To talk accurately, have great memory about what the Lord has done, but it not matter to the way that we're living in our lives. We are living in an interesting time, are we not? We're living in a time where things seem like they're kind of roiling and rumbling and happening all around us in a really different kind of way. And for some of us, it is a new experience. But if we have the ability to remember what God has done in the past, what we're experiencing is nothing new. 
In fact, all throughout history, we've experienced the same kind of political upheavals, the same kind of pandemics, the same type of fear, the same type of forgetting morals and losing our minds and calling wrong right and right wrong. In fact, Paul wrote to Timothy, Paul the Apostle wrote to Timothy, somebody he had sent to lead in an area, and he, he wrote to him about some of the times that we're experiencing. So if you look at, with me in your Bibles at 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to see that what we're even experiencing right now is not necessarily a new phenomenon in terms of history. Here's what Paul wrote. He said, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, Paul's writing to Timothy saying, you should know this because not in the last days, 2,000 years from now, in the last days that they believe they were living in, that we believe we are living in and we should act like we're living in now. In the last days, this is what will be. There will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. It's interesting where the difficult times come from. The, uh, the immediate identification is with how people think and behave. People will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They'll consider nothing sacred. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They'll slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They'll be betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. What's interesting in this scripture is this, that there are literally people that could identify themselves with God, could identify themselves with the one true God, could, could say, I am a believer in Christ, And claim to be walking in the truth and actually be completely opposite. Because it matters not only what we think about God or that we worship the one true God, but that we actually believe and allow to be lived out in our lives what we believe about who God is. Like it matters who God is and it matters who we are with that information. And if it's not connected, then we, we believe in God, we believe in power, we believe what God is able to do, but we forget how it ought to affect the lives that we live on an everyday basis. We deny the power of that voice to speak into our lives. Timothy, or Paul writing to Timothy says, like, for example, here's what happens People with too much time on their hands, he identified them as some women in the church, have been given themselves over to all kinds of crazy doctrines. Now, how many women in here have too much time on your hands? Okay, all right, great. He's not talking to you. He's talking to somebody else. He's talking to all of us. How many of us have too much time on our hands? I think we would probably be, be embarrassed if we took, uh, took out everybody's phone right now and looked at the statistics of how much screen time we've had in the last week. We have way too much time on our hands. But what happens is when we have too much time on our hands, we find ourselves giving over to all kinds of crazy type thinking. In fact, Paul says or, this is a spiritual battle. And he says it's not really anything new. For example, he says, it's just like when Jonas and Jambres oppose Moses. Anybody know who Jonas and Jambres is? 
You can look it up in Scripture. This is the only place they're mentioned. But Paul is talking about the legendary sorcerers, magicians, wise men who were called into Pharaoh's court when Moses came to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. What was that command that that Moses gave to Pharaoh? It was a command, like, let my people go. In other words, let the people of God that belong to God, remembering who God is, find their identity in what God has called them to, to go into the place that he's called them to. It's a call back to that identity. It's a call to, 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 to reestablish, to, to forget the spiritual amnesia, to remember the call and the purpose on their lives. It was, it was God saying, listen, I'm going to stop this attack on your legacy, on the prophetic utterance of where you're supposed to be, and I'm going to allow you to live out the command of God, the word of God, over your lives. Because when we have too much time on our hands, we give ourselves to all different kinds of things to find our identity in. So take, for instance, politics. The enemy doesn't care if you identify Republican or you identify Democrat. He just cares that you identify as one of those things instead of as a child of God and a son or daughter of the kingdom. And you can look at it in all different kinds of things. The enemy is not so much concerned that you don't have an identity. He just wants you to not have the identity that God has called you to have. To misunderstand first who God is and then to misunderstand who you are. Because we are in a battle for the earth. From the very beginning. And the the battle is not between God and Satan. Because that's not an equal battle. It's not like Satan comes into the ring every morning. He's like, hey God, let's go at it. Come on, put your gloves on. And Jesus steps in the ring and they duke it out for a couple rounds. That's not, that, that, he's already defeated in that area. Jesus has already won. And so the battle is not between the enemy and God. It's between the enemy and God's creation, God's people. And he is looking to destroy the plans and purposes of God in the earth, not by fighting the Lord, but by fighting God's creative people who miss who God is and who we are. If he can get our identity out of our heads, then we will not engage in what God has called us to do. And he does that by causing us to forget who he is and to forget who we are, to experience that spiritual amnesia. And he, it, it is literally spiritual warfare. It's demonic. Jonathan Jambres were magicians, dark artists, who tried to imitate and mimic what God was doing through Moses. So by, by, uh, by legend, these men came in when Moses came in and threw his staff down and turned into a snake. They came and did the same thing. They were opposing the purposes of God through manipulation and through lies to say, your purpose, your God is not that powerful. You don't understand what, who it is that you're serving. And so he, Paul is saying, listen, or understand, Timothy, this is the times that we're living in. But then he writes this in chapter 3. But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. Paul says to Timothy, this is how I live. This is my purpose. What I am the way that I'm living doesn't give in to these things that are warring against me. The way that I'm living is by knowing who God is and what he has called me to do. See, the truth is this. We are 
constantly in a battle for identity. Every single human being who woke up this morning, meaning every single person that's in this room, you're in a battle over your identity. Identity is so important. That's why a lot of the sin that we see today, a lot of the things that set themselves up against the knowledge of God, go to identity. This is just the way I was born. You can't attack my identity. Don't come after that. Because the enemy doesn't want us to just get involved in sin. He wants us to identify with our sin. This is who I am. And in that, he destroys and he starts to, in our lives, rip apart the work of God that he's called us to. We can't live the life that God has called us to live on purpose and with meaning. Like Paul lived, if we don't know who we are, if we're not willing to say, God, I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to identify who you say I am, not who I think that I am. And so this battle is one that we're all in. And most of us, we disengage from that battle because it's hard. We, Pastor, I'm not really in a battle. No, if you're not in a battle, the battle is being won against you. It may not seem that important, but the truth is this. If we forget who we are, we are sunk. We're sunk. Whole generations have missed who they are because the battle was lost. They've missed the purpose for which God put humans on the earth. And so the battle is on. And here's what the word says about the battle that we're fighting. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. We're human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. And we capture their rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ. Spiritual warfare is about knowing who God is. We, we tear down those arguments that keep us from knowing God. We tear down those arguments that tell us that we that God is not who he says he is, or that declare that we ought to live in ways that God has not called us to live. Today we're going to start a series called Mighty. That word there that says we, we, we use God's mighty weapons. The thesis of this series is this, that God has given mighty weapons to mighty people to see mighty kingdom advancement. That in order for Jesus to advance his kingdom in the earth, to advance his purpose, his will, his way in the earth, he has called us to know that we have mighty weapons, that we're mighty in him, and that his kingdom needs to move forward in mighty ways. There's nothing new to the times that we're reading about, right? We read about this happening in Timothy. We read it happening about in the time of Moses. But I do believe that we are in a unique time where there is something like we've never experienced before. It's an unusual time of realignment and repentance and revival in the hearts of God's people. God is always about realignment. Like, how many of you go to chiropractors? Right? Like, we go to chiropractors because we get out of alignment, right? There's always a need for an adjustment back into line. God is continually adjusting our spiritual backs. Is that a good picture? You're going to get popped by Jesus every day. If that's uncomfortable for you, because I know some of you struggle with that, like I don't want somebody yanking my neck around, 
Like, how about just Jesus comes and says, here's where we're going. Let's do a course correction. He's always in the process of realigning. He's always in the process of leading us to repentance. He's always in the process of calling us into revival with him where our hearts are more for him than they've ever been before. But I believe that we are in a unique time where God is doing that in a way that's pushing his kingdom forward like never before. He's giving us a moment, a God moment, an encounter moment where his people, because he's done this all throughout history, encounter him in a fresh and a new way and he moves his kingdom forward like never before. It's not like there's something necessarily new to do. The, call, the kingdom call is still to make disciples. But this is not a like, hey, let's get better at small groups or let's have more small groups or something like that. This is literally the call to say, God, my life does not belong to me. It belongs to you. And I'm willing to engage in the battle where I understand what you've called me to do and I understand your call to extend the kingdom to those around me. So I'm going to be a disciple who knows who you are, who does not forget who you've called me to be, and I'm going to extend that to every person that you've put me in contact with. I'm going to seek to see your kingdom advanced powerfully God is after our engagement with him but he's after so much more than that he's after our hearts many and the the thing is many of us need to have a reality check on who we are we don't see ourselves as mighty when we read that scripture God gives us mighty weapons to tear down strongholds that we don't think of ourselves as very mighty Like, okay, well, maybe that's mighty for the people Paul was talking to. Maybe that's mighty for a pastor. Maybe that's mighty for somebody else. But I don't see myself as possessing these mighty weapons. I've tried to use them, and they're not really that strong. I've struggled in this area, and I've tried to be on God's side. I've reminded myself who he is and who I am, and it's still not working. God's saying, listen, there is a time coming, and the time is now, where he is giving us a fresh understanding of the mighty nature of who he has called us to be and what he has given us to walk in. See, this is nothing new. Turn with me in your Bibles to Judges chapter 6. Judges is a book that records literally the thing we're talking about, spiritual amnesia. The people of God are called out of Egypt. They're formed into God's people in the desert. God gives them a land flowing with milk and honey. He places them in that land so that they can be an example of what it looks like to be those who represent God in the world. And he, he gives them everything they need to do. They know who he is. They know who they are. And yet the people forget. And the book of Judges is a constant retelling of the same problem. They, people know who they are. They serve the Lord. They forget the Lord. That's literally like what the, what the word says over and over again. They forget who God is. They don't serve the Lord. They serve other gods. They forget who God has called them to be. And they start to walk in this cycle of judgment and brokenness. And that's what we're reading in Judges. In Judges chapter 6, we pick up in the middle, or at the very beginning of this cycle again. Israel was under oppression because they had turned from God. They forgot who God was and they forgot who God had called them to be. And the enemy invades and consumes everything. Look at Judges chapter 6, verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkey. These enemy hordes came with their livestock and their tents. They're as thick as locusts. 
They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. And so Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. What do we have a picture of here? We literally have a picture of the people of God forgetting who God is and forgetting who they are. When God put them in the land, he gave everybody the ability to have land and to see it prosper. And for a people that live in an agrarian society, how do you lose your heritage? You lose it by losing your land and losing the profits of your land. And so instead of flourishing and showing what a people who were connected to God looked like, they actually demonstrated what it looked like to be a people who rejected God and to not flourish. They forgot who God was, and so they forgot who they were. In fact, they were so afraid that they started hiding in pits and caves. And that's exactly what happens to us in the spiritual realm. When we forget who God is, when we forget who we are, we take our heads and we bury them in the sand. We hide back in our caves. We don't like to go out and put ourselves out there in any kind of way because there's, there's frightening things out there. There's scary things out there. We're opposed out there. The enemy is winning out there, and so we just hide away. And in that place of that cave, we have forgotten who God is, and we forget who we are. And that's exactly what happened, not only for Israel in general, but also for this man named Gideon. And it says this, when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites, and he said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I brought you out of slavery in Egypt, and I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove your enemies, out your enemies, and I gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God, you must not worship the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. The prophet comes and says, you forgot who God was, and you forgot who you are. You forgot what I did for you, how I made you into my own people. Isn't it easy to give a gloom and doom word? You can go into a church and a prophet could stand up and say, hey, things are really bad. Guess what? Almost anywhere you go, things are really bad, right? Right? You can go into a place and you can hear a prophet talk about, hey, there's sin in the camp. How many of you know, if I said there's sin in the camp, I'd probably be prophetically true because there's probably somebody here that's got sin in their heart or in their life somewhere, right? You can give a a reality check, but it's important to understand the, the word of the Lord was, you forgot. You forgot, but there's another word of the Lord that we're gonna read in just a couple minutes that declares something different over the people of God and for the people of God. Because the next part of the scripture talks about Gideon himself. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Or the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Or the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. See, Gideon was experiencing spiritual amnesia just like the rest of the people around him. He forgot two key things. He forgot who God was, and he forgot who he was. How do I know? Read the next verse, verse 13. Sir Gideon replied. Remember, the angel comes and says, the Lord's with you, mighty warrior. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But the first thing that Gideon says is, sir, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. 
he forgot who God was, and he forgot who he was. Do you notice how many times he said us and the Lord in there? Three times for each. He's saying, I, I have forgotten who the Lord was. What's interesting was is that Gideon knew what the Lord had done. Right? He had had that word spoken over him like our ancestors told us about all these things that God had done. It wasn't like he had a, a misunderstanding of the history of God's people. But he had a misapplication of whether or not that was true for him right now. He probably also had heard the word of the Lord. Right? He's almost repeating what the, what the prophet of the Lord had said. That, that we, we, we used to walk with God. God rescued us from these places, but where is God now? He brought us out of Egypt. That's what the prophet has said. But how does that actually apply now? He forgot who God was, but he also forgot who he was. Look at the next verse. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Verse 15, But, the Lord, but Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. His interaction with the Lord is, where are you, God? And God says, listen, I want you to do something about it. He's like, I, I don't even know who I am. What's really interesting about Gideon saying that he's the least in his, his tribe is the least, and he's the least in his tribe, is that was absolutely 100% forgetting who God had said he was. And I know that because there's several times in Scripture where God prophesies over the people of Manasseh, over Gideon's tribe. Gideon's tribe of Manasseh was one of the two sons of Joseph. In other words, we have the 12 tribes of Israel. They come from the sons of Jacob, but the tribe, we don't have a tribe Joseph because we have Ephraim and Manasseh who are the two sons of Joseph. And the people are split into those two tribes there from the son of Joseph, and we have record of what God has prophesied over these tribes. Two times in scripture we have men who are about to die speaking the word of the Lord over these tribes. The first was when Jacob was about to die. He called his sons all together, and he prophesied over each one of his sons and said, this is your prophetic destiny. This is what God has called you to do. This is who God is. This is who you are specifically, and I want to read that to you right now because it's powerful. First of all, we have the the words of Jacob, blessing Manasseh. Genesis 49, if you're taking notes. It says, Joseph is the foal of a wild donkey. The foal of a wild donkey at spring. One of the wild donkeys on the ridge. Now, before you get into this, in my Bible, this is broken up like poetry. And oftentimes when we read those things, I don't know about you, but I'm tempted to skip over them. Like, oh, those are some nice flowery words. But this is literally... The, 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 the man of God, the, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is Jacob speaking prophetically over his sons. Do you know that you have a legacy to speak over your children? And what you speak over them will resonate for generations? And he's speaking over his kids. And he says, listen, each one of you has a specific call. And here's the call to Manasseh. What does he say? He said, you guys are a bunch of wild donkeys. How many of you would like that to be the first thing that your father says over you? In fact, I preached this message, uh, something like this message, at the men's retreat three years ago. 
and I wanted to make a bunch of shirts up that had a donkey on it kicking, and I wanted to say wild ass sons. Because that's literally what he's saying. He's like, your tribe is going to be a bunch of wild ass sons. Are we allowed to say that word in, in church? He's, he, he's saying you, you're going to be a bunch of wild men, but he kind of he plays it out a little bit more. He says, archers attacked him savagely. They shot at him and harassed him, but his bow remained taut and his arms were strengthened. In other words, Gideon's prophetic destiny as a son of Manasseh, as a, a descendant of Manasseh, is to be wild militarily, cannot be controlled, not sitting in a pit, threshing grain like a weak guy, but strong. And when the enemy comes against him, he's actually strengthened by it. That's his prophetic destiny. He said, but, uh, and by the hands of the mighty, speaking of God, one of Jacob, not the same word mighty, but a different word that's unique to God, by the shepherd, by the rock of Israel, may the God of your father help you, and may the Almighty bless you, and with the blessings of heaven above, and the blessings of the watery depths below, and the blessings of the breast and the womb. My fatherly blessing upon you, may my fatherly blessing upon you surpass the blessings of my ancestors reaching to the heights of the eternal hills and may these blessings rest on the head of Joseph who is prince among his brothers. He's literally saying, you're not the least, you're the greatest. Gideon forgot who God was, but he also forgot who he was. There's more to it. Moses, when he's about to die, gathers the people and he blesses each tribe. And when he gets to this tribe, he says this. Moses says this, this is Deuteronomy chapter 33. If you're taking notes, Moses said this about the tribes of Joseph. May their land be blessed by the Lord with the precious gift of dew from the heavens and water from beneath the earth and with rich fruit that grows in the sun and the rich harvest produced each month and the finest crops of the ancient mountains and the abundance from the everlasting hills and with the best gifts of the earth and its bounty and the favor of the one who appeared in the burning bush. May these blessings rest on Joseph's head crowning the brow of the prince among his brothers. Joseph has the majesty of a young bull, and he has the horns of a wild ox. He will gore distant nations, even to the ends of the earth. This is my blessing for the multitudes of Ephraim and the thousands of Manasseh. He's literally saying, you're going to be so bountiful in your identity that there's just going to be overflow. He says, you're going to be so strong militarily that not only will you be able to defend yourself when anybody attacks you, but you're actually going to push people out of your territory and conquer distant lands. This is a far cry from where Gideon finds himself. He's not living in his prophetic calling. He has forgotten who God says he is. In fact, this wasn't just something that uh, was for that time, but did you know that the people of Israel, the Jewish people today, still pronounce this blessing over their kids every single week on Sabbath. There's a Jewish blessing that quotes uh, the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 48, verse 20. It says, so Jacob blessed the boys that day with this blessing. The people of Israel will use your names when they give a blessing. They will say, may God make you as prosperous as Ephraim and Manasseh. In this way, Jacob put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Right from the very beginning, God is saying, listen, we're going to bless people by using your name, by using your identity. How would you like that? Think of the person that you think of as the most blessed, the most prosperous. God says, I'm going to give you that kind of name. So when people bless you, they say, may you walk in Justin Badami's blessing. 
And you're like, yeah, they, they should, because I'm pretty blessed. May they walk in Jake Hannon's identity. May they have Giovanna's anointing. That's because when we know who God has called us to be, we walk in a new and a fresh identity. God is saying that over every single one of us here. Not one of us is exempt from that. But as the people of God, we must not forget who he is and who we are. It's an everlasting blessing because we have a prophetic purpose. God is calling us to go just like he called Gideon. The Lord is saying to each one of us this morning, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty woman of valor. The Lord is with you, mighty hero. The Lord is with you, man of strength and courage. The Lord is with you, woman of character. Mighty woman of character. He's calling his people to not forget who he is. The Lord is himself is with you. Literally, the angel says that to Gideon here. And many scholars believe that because Gideon later worshipped that this was a pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus Christ. That God literally was standing before him saying, hey, I'm here. And the Lord is saying to you here today, he's here. He's literally here, not only with his own presence, but also with a word that goes with him. He tells Gideon, go in the strength you have. Go and do what I've called you to do. He's here today to speak to each one of us and say, don't forget that I'm here and I'm with you. Don't forget me. All the things that you read about in the past that God was able to do, he is able to do for you. But also don't forget who he calls you. Because there's a disconnect. A lot of us are willing to remember what God has done. I've heard about it. I know what he's done. I know who he is. But there's a disconnect between who he is and who he's called us to be. And so we don't make, God is mighty, but I'm not a mighty warrior in him. God is mighty, but I'm not a mighty woman of valor. God is mighty, but I'm not a man of character or a woman of character. And God is saying both of those things are necessary for us to fulfill the call of God on our lives, to be successful in the battle that is raging. We must not forget who he is and therefore who we are in him. Because you and I have a prophetic destiny. We have a purpose. Each one of us were created to extend his kingdom in the earth. He taught us to pray. Pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is through us and in us and around us. We haven't just been called to get saved and kind of hang on by the skin of our teeth and hopefully make it one day. We are called to bring the kingdom, God's kingdom, to seek his kingdom first, to see his kingdom played out in our lives. The prophetic purpose is all over scripture, but I just want to read one scripture to you. We're going to explore what this prophetic purpose is. What does it mean in this series, Lord willing, to be mighty? But here's what I want to say. 1 Peter 2, 19 through 13. Or sorry, 9 through 13. Can't go backwards. He says, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. Catch this for a minute. This is Peter. Remember, this is Peter. Man who missed identity, saying this is who you are. You're a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he's calling you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people... Now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. 
See, some of us are thinking, I can't be a mighty man of God. I can't be a mighty woman of God because I'm not good enough. The truth is, yes, you are not good enough, but it's not based on your goodness that you receive this designation. It's based on the work of Christ and his mercy and grace in our lives. Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, to keep away from the worldly desires that wage against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they'll give honor to God when he judges the world. See, when we start to live this way, oftentimes people get, mistake it. They label it wrongly. And you know what? In this, in this lifetime, we might never get the label right. When we're called to live as the mighty warriors, the mighty men and women of valor that God calls us to, to walk in the power of his might, there are people that will misunderstand. There are people that will accuse us of being something that we're not. And in this lifetime, we might not get it. But when God judges the world, they will be faithful witnesses that we did what God called us to do. We cannot base our lives on what others around us say. We have to base our lives on who God is and who we are. Why? Because the Lord is literally with us. And he calls us to go and to go with the strength that we have. You can read the rest of the story of Gideon. Gideon needs some time to work this out with God. He needs some time to to like really see like, God, are you really with me? But here's the thing. You and I are called just like Gideon to go in the strength that we have and rescue Israel from the Midianites to bring back the knowledge of who God is And to bring back the knowledge of who we are. And so the question to you and to me today is this. Are you, where where is your go? What pit do you find yourself in right now? Where have you forgotten who the Lord is? Where have you forgotten who he's called you to be? Would you just, would you close your eyes with me for just a minute? Just take a minute and listen to the Lord. It really doesn't matter if you're hiding in a cave this morning. It really doesn't matter that you have even forgotten God or forgotten who you are. It doesn't matter if you're in a pit trying to get some stuff done. It doesn't matter if you're running away from the enemy. This morning, the Lord has encountered you with his word. He's reminding you that you belong to him. He's reminding you that you are called to be a mighty man or woman in him. And he's simply calling us right now in this moment not to figure it all out, but to say, yes, God, I will remember who you are and I'll remember who you call me to be. And I'm ready to engage in the battle. I'm ready to get into the fight. And it starts by saying yes to his go. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know where your go go is. I don't know what the battle specifically is that he's called you to do, to called you to engage in. But if you're going to do it, it's going to require you to know who he, he, he is and to know who you are in him. So if you're here this morning, Maybe you've been living on your own timeline. You've been living on your own values. You have decided what your call in life is. You've decided to live your own identity. And as 
the word's been shared that's come into conflict with the word of the Lord. This morning, if you would like to say, you know what, I'm done with that. I'm going to live God's way. I'm done trying to figure out my own identity. I want to invite you to just, just raise your hand and say, God, I'm surrendering my life to you right now. And you might have prayed the prayer of salvation before. That can be this or it can be something completely different. But you're saying, God, I'm ready to hear what you say about me. In fact, can we do this? You can open your eyes. Would you boldly say, I'm getting out of the pit this morning and I'm just going to stand and say, God, you can have your way in my life. Don't stand if you're not willing to do this. But if you are willing to allow God to be the one who identifies you, to walk in the identity he's given you, so you saying, I won't forget you, God, and I'll be who you called me to be. God, we are here this morning and we repent for forgetting who you are, for remembering what you've done in the past for us and for others, but not letting it apply to us today, for losing faith. And we're so grateful for your word that calls us back to know who you are, but also your word that tells us who we are in you. That in in you, Jesus, you have set us free from every identity that's other than you, and you've given us a fresh and a brand new identity as your children, as your very own possession, as your royal priests and your holy nation. And so we stand this morning to just simply say yes to your go. Not figuring it all out, not trying to map it all out, not trying to control it all, but just saying, yes, God, I will listen to who you are. I will go where you send me to go. Show me what it means to be mighty in you. Let your kingdom come in my life. Let your kingdom advance in my life for those around me. Jesus, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In my life, in the lives of those around me. In Jesus' name.